Hello, it's Sarah Jane from the development team here at Robert Gordon's College. Thank you for listening to this episode, which was recorded during our Fire Up the Future webinar series. This webinar was hosted by Alan Fraser, who was joined by fellow Gordonians Neil McKenzie, Aaron Hopps, Erland Rendell and Mark Uckert. Alan asked the panel what strategies they have adapted for managing their mindset in uncertain times. Looking back, they reflected on their time at school and the positive impact that their teachers had on their future. I hope you enjoy listening. You can also watch the webinar recordings via the link below. She's a good girl, loves her mama, loves Jesus, and America too. She's a good girl, crazy about Elvis, loves horses, and her boyfriend too.
Hi there. Thank you for coming and joining. I'm Alan Fraser. Hope you enjoyed the uh, brilliant music by the Senior Choir, which is free-falling. Sadly, I suspect that uh, none of them are old enough to actually know uh, who Tom Petty is. Um, we won't be speaking about, well, maybe a bit later we can speak about Tom Petty. Um, we've got a terrific panel uh, for you tonight. We're from all sides of the COVID spectrum. You've got some oldies like me who have been vaccinated and so are hopefully okay for a while. And we've got some young, healthy people who don't need to be uh, vaccinated yet. I'm delighted to welcome uh, on the, the young, healthy side, Erin um, Hopps. Erin uh, is a brand manager for Levi Strauss. She has spent some time in London and working for Levi's in, in Scandinavia. And she's now based in, uh, in Brussels and is a, and is a project manager uh, there. Um, also on our uh, younger side, Neil McKenzie. Neil is the head of uh, US sports betting for, for Google. Um, he has a New York-based uh, job, but unfortunately he has uh, been stuck in London uh, during the, the pandemic. So, so Neil's there, but will give us his, um, his impressions of, of how it works in the US market. Um, on the uh, more experienced side, shall we say, uh, like me, COVID vaccinated, we've got Erland Rendell. Erland has more than 20 years experience in the commercial property uh, market. He has worked in London and the Middle East and now runs his own commercial property firm uh, from Dur Durham in Northern England. Uh, and last but not least, we've got Mark Acker. Mark says he's not at risk yet because he's not quite 50. Um, but Mark is the head of global investment at Bailey Gifford one of the uh, largest and most successful fund managers in the uh, in the UK. Mark's pretty big in China. For a recent, a recent webinar uh, in China, there were more than 20,000 people uh, turned up to see him, but recently ranked the number one uh, investment manager for global equities in Europe. We are delighted to have him here tonight. Okay, so... just about see people. Great. Um, so I think the, the format today is, is going to be really relaxed. Uh, we're just going to have a chat really about the pandemic, how it's affected the sectors in which everybody's worked and, and how we see it coming, coming out of there and the things that have affected us. Erin, um, obviously retail, you worked for, for Levi based in store, doing in-store in designs, that all stopped in the pandemic. And, and you'd recently moved to Brussels as well. So how has it been for, for you over the last year, just both how, how have you adapted personally and, and in terms of Levi's, the, the company? Yeah, so um, the new role that I began in January 2020, um, when I relocated to Belgium, was I mean thankfully it was that was a purely HQ office based role um, there were some elements of travel but obviously that all very quickly stopped um, but yes yeah, since then um, at three months in I was you know global pandemic completely working from home uh, which was a big change in itself and then yeah with Levi's being a fashion retailer predominantly a denim brand obviously it's been a very challenging year um, and in the September the company began a um, kind of 
global restructuring of the, the company. And unfortunately, there was quite a lot of redundancies. Um, so the job I initially had in the January, which I relocated to take, which was a dual role as a creative services and a brand environment project manager, um, no longer existed because one of the teams, including my boss, actually were made redundant. Um, and in terms of the company structure, everything was decentralized, everything was made kind of more local, moved into the into the regions. So yeah, since the beginning of the pandemic, I actually have a totally new job and a totally new team, uh, none of whom live in the same country as me, <laughs> which is kind of crazy to think because a year ago that just would not never have been the case. Um, so yeah, big change from you know a personal perspective in my job role. So I'm now brand experience, which is a new department um, for retail predominantly for Gas and Benelux, but also supporting the wider North cluster, which is the UK and the Nordics as well. Um, but then from a company point of view in the way that the industry has changed during the pandemic, I mean, it's been a huge shift, obviously. We haven't had any point where every retail store has been closed, but um, I think we've had a few instances where only some stores in Scandinavia have been open. So the majority of our retail doors have been closed, which has meant a huge shift into e-com where markets have been reopening. I mean, it's been on an appointment basis sometimes, um, which has been a completely new way of working for everyone. Um, but also from a marketing standpoint, I would say because of the pandemic, we've really noticed a shift in consumers' priorities in terms of shopping, but also their brand loyalty. They expect a lot more from a brand now because, I mean, I'm sure a lot of people on the call would agree, the last year of spending time at home, your own personal priorities have changed and shifted over the last year. So people are kind of expecting the same out of their brand. So yeah, from a marketing standpoint, we've really kind of had to adapt quickly to catch up with the new way that consumers are thinking. So our, our latest brand campaign that we just launched this year is not product focused. It's actually based on the message of asking consumers to buy less product, which is a very bold move considering the last year, but by investing in better quality products so that it lasts longer. Um, which yeah, maybe a year ago, I don't think we would have taken such a bold stance on that as a company. So yeah. Yeah, well, that's a, that's a big development from having guys like Nick Kamen sitting in their Levi's in a, in a bath, which is what we got in the, in the 1980s. But you'll, oh, you, you, no, you won't remember. That might still come back. You won't, you won't remember. You won't remember that. So, I mean, retail's obviously been hugely affected by, um, by the pandemic, all, all shops closing down. On, on the other hand, Neil, sports betting seems to have gone through the roof people sitting on their sofas with uh, lots and lots of sports to watch, trying to, um, and so how at Google have you managed that? Have you seen a, an exponential growth in your team and, and the work that you've had to deal with? Yeah, absolutely. So sports have been a, a constant escape for the global population um, and no more so than the US where they've had a lot of lockdowns and a lot of challenges um, kind of culturally, um, I'd say. So 
um, being an online focused business um, and also obviously heavily involved in sports, uh, we have seen this exponential growth um, in performance and as a consequence investment from clients. So it's been a really exciting time to be a part of uh, this industry. And um, it has been a challenging time. And um, obviously we're a significant net contributor to Google's uh, revenue at the moment, which uh, makes life really easy. And um, when you're leading a team, you know, but growing is definitely better than, uh, than anything else. Uh, however, we have found that you know, in a sales role, it's a lot harder to engage with clients and engage with specialists and team members. And so from a, a job standpoint, I think the biggest change there has really been that uh, the amount of meetings that we're having. And, um, you know, you miss that serendipitous moment of bumping into a client in, a, in their office or um, indeed one of your own colleagues in a, in a cafe or something in the office. So um, I've actually found that I now have 35% more meetings, Google, a company of data, um, obviously, 35% more meetings year on year um, based on the fact that everything is now structured, curated, scheduled. Um, and so that's uh, been a bit more of a challenge, a bit of a drain um, on our time. So whilst there are lots of positives, lots of uh, additional investment, the teams are definitely uh, feeling it from a, from a sales standpoint, um, from a, you know, getting out there and the hours of work um, being pretty crazy. And I think that's been one of the big things that everyone has seen during the last year, that things just become become more exhausting. I mean, sitting on 10, 20 Zoom meetings a day is intense and exhausting. I mean, Mark, your business was getting out, meeting investors, traveling the world, seeing companies, companies coming to you, which I suppose it helps being able to get on the ground and, and make that personal relationship and, and be in a room with people. Um, it must have been pretty intense for you just doing all this around the world from um, from your house. Yeah, I think that's the biggest the biggest change, the biggest downside of the last years has definitely been um, not being able to go and see companies on on their home base because you always get something of of just seeing the company in situ and, and management are more relaxed. Um, so my job is um, for, for those that, that don't know, really good for investing globally, and I I, I can basically buy anything that's listed anywhere. In the world so that's been quite an interesting vantage point to to see the last year and i i you know i think listening to, to erin and, and you know the the thing that we're we're sort of seeing is every industry is disruptable you know there's nothing that that can't be done in a different way and if, if you think of the 24 hours of the day um work is, is a large segment of that and, and we've all been affected by that there's about a third of the global workforce working from home at, at, by some estimates it's, it's declining a bit now the way we we eat, you know, um, you can't. The, the only traffic on the roads for a while were the Deliveroo and Just Eat drivers, or or the Metwang guys in China, and 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 you know that some of that will be permanent change. So I, I think one of the really interesting debates is how much is temporary and how much is permanent. And um, the way we exercise, you know, um, Alan and I are both having midlife crises and, and have our Peloton bikes, and uh, you know that the. the but, but the idea of going to a gym and sharing a shower with other sort of sweaty people, it seems really anachronistic already, you know, and, and, and I know there's a big surge back to gyms, but actually when you can get good kids at home and um, the way we entertain ourselves, you know, there's, there's movie premieres of huge films going direct to, to the TV screens at home. And, and that's, that's remarkable as well. So I think that the positive, and I'm, I'm always someone that tries to look on the positive side is, is the barriers to entry in many industries have collapsed you know and, and it's partly because people have been forced to experiment and forced to do things in different ways and some of that will some of that will have permanent change so 
although it's been a, a really weird and a really tough year for me in terms of not not visiting companies I'm, I'm more excited than I've ever been in, in 25 years of investing so I think the opportunity set is is enormous and exploding yeah I think there's no doubt everyone sees that there's going to be a huge amount of change in in, in all industries people I don't think any of us know what it's going to look like in, in two or three years, to what extent it's going to go back to what it was before, or there'll be a permanent change. Um, Ireland, your commercial property and, and construction, and a lot of that halted um, in the pandemic as well. And, and I suppose going forward, there's a big debate going on now as to the extent to which it will come back. You know, will, will people want as big office space as they did before? Will people drift back into offices or, or will more people do it like we're doing it just now and just do it from home? Well, give us a little perspective of, of how you've coped during the last year and, and what you think things are going to be like going forward. Uh, how, well, how have I coped? Thank goodness I had uh, a, a decent office space at home. I just wish I had a better internet connection. That's, that, that was certainly the, the biggest challenge a year, a year ago, particularly with homeschooling absorbing a lot of broadband uh, capacity as well. Um, for, as an industry across you know, construction averages, jotting down some notes, you know, a year ago, Nightingale Hospitals, who'd have thought that those kind of expansion on NHS estates would be uh, possible? Uh, in response. Likewise, the, the, the shutdown of the high street, um, offices locking their doors on the 23rd of March, uh, people working from home, the mass migration from any major urban centre, uh, the impact on public transport, um, anything that anyone was normally living or working in, apart from uh, key worker facilities, you know, pretty much everyone was at home. So, you know, talk about major disruption. Um, I think coming out of that, uh, the industry, uh, the property construction industry is asking some pretty big questions. Uh, you know, that crystal ball, what is the, the, what is the better normal moving forward? What does that look like? Uh, how will people start to shift back? Will it be hybrid working? Uh, how will the experience of work attract people back onto that London underground uh, carriage, the train, you know, big issues, you know, if Mark doesn't want to uh, jump in a share with a whole lot of sweaty people, then, uh, you know, imagine how six million people that commute into London every day will feel. Um, so big questions, likewise, you know, what I think Niall said in terms of building trust, uh, even as employers, uh, building trust and that new forced disruption that uh, heads of HR were dealing with uh, in terms of people, you know, what Erin was talking about just in terms of team dynamic, the fact that there's some people that haven't met their colleagues yet uh, in the world of work, how's that going to feel? You know, we're all going to have to go on sort of social skills courses before going back to work just to feel what it's like actually meeting people for the first time again. And lastly, for me, is the environmental factors. The, the big thing that's come through is sustainability. If Levi's are talking about spending less but more as an investment well likewise in terms of the real estate world you know we are now faced with zero carbon 40 percent of carbon emission uh, is out of real estate what is that industry doing uh, some big questions getting asked of the industry and uh, no doubt opportunities for some to to answer those and uh, and make the opportunity 
Yeah, I mean, I think that there's been a big focus, hasn't there, on, on sustainability and, and environmental issues coming out of this and people talking about will they travel as much and, and how do they reduce their, their carbon footprint. Um, I know, Ireland, that you have got plans even coming out of this in terms of this platform you're setting up for, for construction knowledge, which has a, a lot to do with, with the environmental side of, of commercial property. Can you tell us a little bit about that and what and what the plan is and, and how you're how you're going ahead about setting that up uh, well yes th this is this is me 35 years on from leaving school when i've actually realized that perhaps there's a bit of my brain that works um so i'm i'm 35 years too late to the party but in terms of uh one of the last uh well the big projects in the last three four years is me being learning how to learn uh, essentially, and in, in, in the industry that I'm involved with, 95% uh, of learning evaporates. Uh, it's a data poor environment. Um, uh, and so I've been looking at uh, developing a platform that basically captures some key elements of, of information through the whole life of any construction real estate project. Uh, and that's with the clear function of everyone um, providing that information to help one person and if everyone is helping one then everyone can benefit and it's it's that ability to learn so it's a knowledge platform and I've got into the wonderful world of algorithms that I'm sure now be more than familiar with um, I wasn't taught algorithms when I was at school I don't think uh, Alan and Mark you were either but that's that's been my life over the last uh, five or ten years and understanding all about machine learning we launched a platform last week on Earth Day. Uh, the uptake and the interest has been uh, overwhelming, to be perfectly honest, uh, but really around a client at the front end establishing their real uh, uh, granular uh, needs, wants and needs in, re in relation to sustainability, and then right the way through the, the life of that project uh, into its operation, uh, tracking those elements through um, and creating what's called a golden thread um, of knowledge through the whole uh, life of, a, of the built environment. In the UK, for example, 80% of real estate is already built. Um, so it's, it's repurposing that element as well as the 20% that's getting renewed. So yeah, exciting, uh, exciting uh, a new chapter for me as we've launched this, uh, this platform called Glue IQ. Yeah, and that's fascinating, isn't it? Because a lot of this has just come on stream because of technological advances and, and, and algorithms. Um, and we'll come back to that. There is a, a Q&A function here on the screen. So people watching, if you if you want to ask the, the guys questions, then then please put your questions in and, um, and we'll try and get those answered. Um, in terms of algorithms, Neil, to what extent, you know, are, are Google monitoring what we do what we buy, I mean, you know, there must be a reason that Mark owns every piece of Peloton clothing that they, that they bring out. As soon as he buys one, I'm sure he gets an advert saying, buy the next, buy the next sweatshirt, Mr. Rucker. To what extent did your team, get, do you get involved in that? Or is that something that, that just happens in the background? So in our team, um, we are very much um, masters of none, I think. We're you know, generalists across everything. We can uh, survive maybe one round um, of, a, of a boxing match with, a, with an engineer talking about algorithms. Uh, and then after that, we have to bring a specialist in. And we're um, fortunate we sit across, um, a, well, 
a huge volume of different specialists who really know the niche details of everything that's going on um, with the various uh, algorithms. Of course, we don't share too much with clients, but we share enough to help them uh, make the most of our products. From a, a following around the web standpoint, that's uh, something which in our industry, at least, we don't do at all. So Google's very, very um, reluctant to allow the, the sports betting, sports gambling industry um, to, to do a lot of retargeting or um, anything like that, actually. Um, obviously, retail Peloton, uh, as Mark can attest to, is probably being followed around the web um, with cycling shorts and caps and all sorts. Um, and that's definitely uh, something which um, being logged into Google, Facebook, whatever, um, you should expect if you're... Uh, if you're a big fan of a brand. So I know, Mark, you expect just in terms of disruptors, huge amount of, of change just from what you're seeing and talking to investors and, and talking to companies. Do you expect that to change in any kind of way that you collect data or you invest or you monitor companies? Or do you think that will just be in the way that companies naturally operate? Um, in terms of how we make our investments, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, no, I don't really, because I, I, I think that in some ways that information is, is a bit of a commodity. Uh, so, you know, the, the, the information of, of what companies, not, not the, obviously the proprietary stuff they have, but how companies operate. So, so for me, as an investor, what, what you're doing is trying to assess the culture of the company, obviously the opportunity set. And then their ability to, to execute on it, it's, it, it's relatively straightforward and rolling forward, can other people compete with them? You know, so, so any, any good idea will attract capital and, and we'll have other people trying to compete. But if, if you have that, what, what Warren Buffett describes as the moat, then you can, you, you can um, carry on making profits for, for many, many years. I, I think the big change I've seen would, would, would pick up on, on what both Ireland and, and Erin have said that, that in the last pre-COVID but definitely accelerated by COVID is the rise of ESG as, as a, a primary factor. So I, I've, I've been at Bailey for 25 years and when I first started we had one person in, in our ESG department and it, it really was a sort of tag on tick box kind of okay we've, we've kind of looked at that and, and they're not criminals sort of thing. Um, now it is front and centre and I, I, I think it's really interesting hearing what Erin what is saying that I, I, I personally think that brands who can make environmental concerns part of their brand and um, potentially stand a, as a competitive advantage because consumers are, are demanding that you know if everyone kind of knows what we need to do but, but we need help getting there you know we, we need we need beyond meat to make burgers that don't come from cows because we all like eating meat but we know that 40 percent of emissions come from cows um, you know so it's it's bad news for Aberdeen Angus cattle I'm afraid you know but but that's 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 the way it goes we also know that it's it's five percent of people that cause all the the air emissions more or less you know it's 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 the it's the elites traveling around and, and they need to fly less so it's relatively straightforward but we need to have kind of um reasons to to consume in a different way so i, I think there's a massive opportunity for for companies to do that and of course part of the algorithms and part of the data tracking is there's no place to hide if, if you're if as a company your externalities are large you will be named and shamed and, and rightly so you know so, so that that information age means companies look at volkswagen and, and the sort of emission scandal you know and that went right up to the board level and 20 years ago it would have probably been brushed under the carpet but, but now everyone knows they lied yeah yeah and, and and it's a fascinating thing isn't it companies 
need to produce goods, which has an environmental impact, but they need to be seen to be doing it in a sustainable way. So, Erin, I mean, from your point of view, you, you know, you need to sell jeans. You need to encourage people to go into the stores and, and or go on the websites and, and buy more Levi jeans. So how are you going to do that going forward in a way that makes us want to buy Levi's because, you know, Levi's are good for the environment? Yeah, well, as I was saying, at the moment, it's really been a big push on um, kind of communicating our brand values to the consumer. They've always been very much from an internal point of view. Um, they've always been very important to the company. I mean, our, our even our individual objectives stem from like the the company's core values, but we've never really communicated them in a big way to the consumer. And um, they've always been kind of in the background because, you know, as soon as you put yourself out there, you then are really committed to the consumer that you have to stick to them. It's not just an internal thing. So um, the last few years, it's definitely been ramping up. Um, I have to say, especially because we are now really, as I'm sure many companies are targeting the Gen Z consumer, we have many, many meetings about Gen Z um, because they are now, you know, they're the, the latest consumer. And in particular, they are really holding brands accountable. Um, so, yeah, so our latest uh, brand campaign is we're working with a number of activists um, in, from different parts of the world. In the UK, I believe we're working with Marcus Rashford, Rashford, who's a footballer, but he also campaigns for um, to do with homelessness in the UK. Um, so yeah, we have rep representatives like that from kind of across across the globe, who you know, um, importantly, are also all young themselves. Um, so that's that's one way of really pushing to the consumer the message that you know we've made this commitment and we're going to stick behind it in the way that we operate as a business. But um, also from where my kind of job comes into this about getting customers back to brick and mortar retail as opposed to just online is making the shopping experience an experience because we've all had the convenience over the last year of being able to order things straight to your home and um, I would argue that jeans particularly you do kind of want to try them on in a store right they're quite a difficult thing to order online but even so it's just becomes we've become so used to it over the last year that if we want to get customers out and about again then you know the whole process of shopping it needs to be a reason to go out it needs to be a day out which almost is kind of going a bit back in time when shopping used to be like kind of a family experience or like a day out as opposed to just nipping in after work. So that's where my job comes in of making it a seamless and enjoyable and exciting um, experience for the consumer, which also is now involving a lot of technology um, actually within the shopping experience, um, which has been interesting <laughs> for me to try and figure out how to incorporate um, technology and QR codes and trackable data and things during the shopping experience. So definitely a learning for me on that side as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, I mean, I mean, I think we've got everyone here has got such diverse interests and, and working in, in, in such diverse places. There's um, there's some questions um, coming in, in in terms of 
how did you all get where you where you were uh, or how did you get to work in in these industries and in these far flung places and um, mark somebody's asking when you when you went to do ppe uh, at oxford did you have any idea what you would end up doing and and how did how did that come about uh Short answer is, is no. I went to do PP at Oxford because, uh, as, as Alan will remember, our, our Latin teacher, who was affectionately known as Batman, Mr. Wilson, because uh, his cape used to fly fly behind him as he rushed out of the staff room across the quad, told me in second year, Urquhart, you should do PPE at, uh, at Oxford. And it just kind of stuck in my head. And I thought, OK, I'll give that a bash. I, I didn't have a scooby about investment at that stage. I, I then went off and did a couple of other degrees. And by that stage, my mum... Uh, my Aberdonian mum was telling me it's time to get a job and uh, so I pre-Google 1996 went into the career service at Edinburgh University and back in those days uh, you, you just basically looked through a, a big folder and Bailey Gifford was near the start and I sort of thought that that probably involves a bit of politics and economics and um, I'll, I'll give that a bash and and so that the amount of information that people have now it's, it's incredible as you said in, in your intro the preparation, the amount people know about industries, um, and, and obviously they can read reviews and things like Glassdoor about companies. Um, I honestly don't think I would get a job now if, if I if I sort of applied. It, it's it's quite breathtaking how it's changed. But but what I can say is that investment is a job that um, it changes every day. So it's intellectually so stimulating that that you're looking at um, all sorts of different industries. As I said, you know, in, in the last year I've spent. Um, a lot of time learning about the vaccine companies you know obviously that's been a huge a huge thing I'm, I'm not a scientist by training but it's, it's really awe-inspiring delving into that and you meet you meet some tremendous founders you know the the, the, the backstory some of some of you will know of BioNTech a Turkish immigrant into Germany who, who founded this company which is now you know delivering shots into people's arms and he's the most humble guy you would come across and um, he's, he's not satisfied with what they've done with uh, COVID at all. He, he wants to, to do vaccines for malaria. He wants to do vaccines for all sorts of diseases. And I think that's that's one of the things that will be unlocked. You know, the, 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 the regulatory, the ability to develop mRNA vaccines. And there's so many things that we can now do with that. So that's that's hugely exciting. So I, I stumbled into investment and have stayed for, for 25 years. I think people just stumble on things as, as they go, don't they? I think that's a common factor. Neil, you told me that um, you were originally going to do law and then you saw the light, you sensible chap, and uh, went to, to Loughborough. And how, how did you then get into there? Yeah, it's um, a really interesting one. I, as you say, I was on my way to do law. I was going to be an accountant. I might have worked in oil. Who knows? And, you know, it was all the... And kind of typical things your guidance counselor would say to you and also your parents who, you know, have come been exposed to those those sorts of industries. So yeah, I ended up at Loughborough, um, did a placement year. Um, ultimately I chose the, the year I chose in the south of France because it was in the south of France. Nothing to do with marketing or anything like that. It was really the location that, that excited me. Um, and then I found that I really enjoyed um, marketing and advertising there. Uh, so post university did a couple of months in Madrid. Um, I was there for July, August, September, and anyone who's been to Madrid in, in summer um, and who is of Scottish complexion like myself will tell you it's a tough place to be. Uh, so I made an about turn, came back to London, and didn't really have a role um, in mind, uh, but bumped into a Gordonian. And you hear 
throughout uh, your time at school at Gordonians or uh, the Gordonian Association is really going to be important for you in your future. You think, well, how important could it be? Well, it got me my first job in London, ultimately, that kind of relationship there. Um, and then through that, I, um, through that company, I went to a few meetings at Google uh, and was exposed then to the snacks, to the cafes, the restaurants, and um, this the, the good feeling uh, that you kind of find on the campuses there. And it kind of made it a, an objective to, to work there at some point. Um, and then, yeah, over time, um, through meeting the right people and uh, doing the right work with the right folks, uh, the opportunity arose to, to join the team in 2015. Uh, and then from there, it's, uh, yeah, the rest is history. It's been a very um, eye-opening uh, experience there. The, the flexibility, the uh, opportunity to grow your career and move around the world as you please, um, almost, um, through Google. It's been uh, a really wonderful experience and delighted that somehow managed to find my way there, um, all through wanting to uh, live by the seaside in the south of France. <laughs> well, well, no better place to live. Um, yeah. and, and Ireland, you went a slightly different route, you told me, because you, you didn't go straight to university from school and you, you just got stuck in and, and came to your kind of passion through through a bit of just working in different companies in, in the industry. How did, how did you, how did it come about for you? It's, a, it's at this point that my parents would be holding their heads in their hands, to be honest, that, uh, you know, Mark getting that advice from Batman in second year, doing us what I caught up with Mr. Richmond uh, last year up in Orkney, retired now, and he was, I think, still holding his head in his hands. Uh, my career path, I left school in the July in, uh, ended up six months later in the mailroom of Mobile in Aberdeen. So that was a, that was a real back to basics uh, route. Uh, but interestingly, learned a lot about oil exploration. I was wanting to be a pilot um, and that paid, helped pay for some private flying lessons, but the late eighties, early nineties, not great economically. Um, my boss there, Jill said, go to university. I said, you know, go and do business. I said, why on earth would you want to do that? picked up this, uh, we were doing an office transaction at the time, I thought, well, that's interesting. Uh, asked them what they were, they were surveyors, uh, looked up the Robert Gordon University prospectus, saw surveyors, picked that course, turned out to be the wrong one, uh, but stuck at it, uh, thinking, how boring is this? But I kept going. Um, uh, and then I got, when I graduated, I got a, a role with a firm in London, big international practice. And I thought, well, this is, we might be starting to go somewhere. Uh, a couple of years later, I got involved in a project with a, uh, a business called McLaren, led by a guy called Ron Dennis. Uh, and uh, amongst other things, they run a Formula One team. And goodness me, that literally blew my socks off uh, and actually started the, my interest in data when I saw what they were doing with Formula One cars. Uh, and their passion, uh, and I thought, goodness me, if this is what I can do and be involved with, that's great. Uh, ended up getting some advertising on their car so that the building was paid for, um, which was quite helpful. Um, and then from there, I got the opportunity to come back up to Edinburgh uh, to go to the other end of the, the spectrum of that business and then open an office in the Middle East uh, and get involved in some amazing projects with amazing architects and engineers and all the rest of it. So that's uh, I, my, my career has not been planned. Uh, when I was in Aberdeen, I, I wanted to work locally, nationally, and then internationally. And I've managed to tick those boxes at least. 
Um, and now I'm back at square one, um, applying what I was learning at McLaren in the late 90s to the industry that I've become used to. Yeah, well, you know, Formula One, everything you read about it, and the, certainly from the documentaries on uh, on the, on Netflix, it's fascinating in terms of data and how they drive every ounce of increased performance out, out of there. Um, Erin, you kind of changed tack as well, didn't you, when you went to university and ended up doing something completely different? How did, how did that come about? Yes, very much so. Um, I see that uh, Kevin Cowie is one of the attendees on this and he will be able to confirm as my guidance teacher um, that I probably made him tear his hair out. Um, when I was at school, I was very much set on um, engineering all throughout school, mechanical engineering. Did all of my hires in accordance with that, did work experience at Total and the Wood Group and you know, I had so much at my disposal being in Aberdeen in terms of work experience. And then, yeah, I had a bit of a crisis in fifth year about not really sure if that was actually what I wanted to do. And um, so decided I was going to try and apply for history of art. Um, I was accepted to Edinburgh University and I did two years um, at the Edinburgh University and it was combined with the art school. That was the first year where it became kind of a split course um, combined with the art school. And kind of into the second year realized I'd probably made a bit of a wrong decision. <laughs> course wasn't really for me. Um, so I took some time out to figure out what I was gonna do, thinking I would probably reapply maybe to fine art. Um, I was really missing that kind of practical, hands-on side of the degree. And during that time out, I was working um, in a Levi store in Edinburgh. And basically my manager at the time, having spoken to me about, you know, me having a bit of this panic about not really sure what I actually wanted to do, um, suggested a job that came up at the London head office that was a field-based visual merchandising job managing the visual merchandising for the stores in London and the Southwest of England. And I read the job description and thought it sounded interesting and was quite intimidated actually thinking that I really didn't seem very qualified, but that, because you know, they always ask for, you must have five years experience in this field before applying. Um, but I thought worst case scenario, I'd get to go down to the London office for a day, see the London head office, have a nice day out, that kind of thing. So went for the interview and yeah, got on really well with them. And a week later, they offered me the job. And three weeks later, they relocated me down to London, where I lived in a tiny flat in Battersea in between two train lines. Um, but it was, yeah, not at all planned, completely unexpected, but I just loved it. and knew quite quickly that this maybe wasn't the exact area that I wanted to be in, but that environment was definitely where I wanted to be and that I could kind of worm my way through the different departments and figure out maybe the niche that really suited me just through learning about as much of the business as I could, which is kind of what I've done over the years and just exposing myself to as many different departments as possible, which is how I've managed to move into different teams and work with different people, which yeah, eventually led me out to the Nordics and then finally out to Brussels. Well, finally, I don't know, we'll wait and see, <laughs> but for now to Brussels, so yeah. 
yeah, great story. Um, and it will surprise you to learn that more than 20 years before, uh, when, when, before you were at school, when Erland and, and Mark and I were at school, that um, Kevin Cowie was, was still a teacher at the Gordons then. Um, and I'm um, sure Mark and Erland will agree that in those days, I know Kevin's watching, Kevin was the coolest teacher in the, in the school, certainly the coolest teacher in the science block. So Kevin actually has a, a question. Um, Mark, you're probably best placed to answer this. In terms of sustainability, he's asking, do, do, we, do you think that the US has a similar approach to, to Europe or do the, do the US not just, just see environmentalism and sustainability in the same way? Yeah, I, I, I think it is a good question. I, I, it's been a slower start there and, and it, you've got to avoid generalizations I, I and this is not a, a great insight but there's almost two us's you know you, you if, if you go up the west coast the californias the oregon's the the washington state they're all over this stuff you know and 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 but but also parts of texas you know so so um we invested in a company called whole foods which is now wholly owned by by amazon which which led to the kind of organic movement in the states and, and people actually finding out where their salmon was fished and and you know what what was the the sort of journey of the cow to the to the plate sort of thing but but then obviously you know you get the the sort of redneck states but i i actually think more than that i think it's a generational thing you know and i i, I think people of, of our ilk we kind of get it but and, and we're, we're doing our bit we do our recycling we, we try to limit our carbon footprint maybe but um, when you see the people that you know, a, a lot of the pupils on on this call, um, I think their mindset is completely different to this. They they realise we've got one chance to save this planet, and and you know Gre Greta Thunberg has, has become the kind of uh, the public face of that. But I I you know like like Alan, I've, I've got teenage kids, and and the way they think about their consumption decisions is completely different. It's it's front and centre. It's not about price. It's not about uh, quality as much as about the environmental footprint so I, I think that that is a is a global thing so I, I I was out with my daughter a couple of years ago we were doing one of these silent discos at, at the uh, fringe uh, when, when you could still do those and and I, I like a bit of a sing-song and it was a hot day in Edinburgh and I said to her I'm going to get a bottle of water I'm, I'm thirsty she said why are you doing that I said well I'm thirsty it's hot I, I need a drink she said yeah but you're just lazy you, you should have brought a bottle of water like me because pl that plastic bottle will never degrade. And I was literally kind of named and shamed by her. She was 10 or 11 at the time. And subsequently, I've now bought myself a Peloton bottle. So, you know, there, there we are. I've, I've, I've taken the plunge. <laughs> I think you just get special delivery of everything that, that Peloton does. And that's, that's a pretty scary concept because it's, um, it's pretty scary watching you dance when there is music, <laughs> even when there's a... Uh, even when it's a it's a silent disco. I mean, we're getting a we've we haven't got too much time left. Um, I wanted to. Uh, Laura said we should ask the the panel about their inspirations from school time and and from Gordon's. Firstly, if you had your time over again, if you were sixteen now, and there will be lots of people watching this who are who are leaving school or recently left school. You know, would you have done anything different? What advice would you give yourself? And and secondly, who who in the school environment, who at Gordon's really inspired you? And you think back today and think, I'm so glad I had the influence of, of that person. Neil, what what would you do anything different? Or are you 
happy doing what you're doing. Um, I'm definitely surprised at what I'm doing. Uh, as I said, having left school was never an expectation. Um, the one thing I wish I had done is probably uh, taken time either uh, post-university or before university uh, to go and just travel, do something different and see more of the world. I think a lot of the, the growth that I've had in business has come from, from travel, from going to new places for work and meeting and working with people in different environments. So that's definitely something that I'd, I'd, have, I'd have loved to have done. Um, and looking back, probably would have helped me to be mature a little bit in my career a little bit earlier um, the, than I did. Uh, and then the second part of the question in terms of um, who uh, from Robert Gordon's maybe had the biggest impact, I think there was a, a teacher, Mrs. Pascoe, who sadly passed away um, a few years ago. Um, she was my maths teacher uh, at a time when I was very much struggling with maths. Um, and she spent a huge amount of her own time uh, tutoring, helping me to develop and grow in that area. Uh, and in the end, I studied maths at university. Um, but it looked like I might not have um, even got the, the credit level standard grade at one point. So um, huge amount of gratitude uh, to her. Uh, and kind of all that she did. And I think that's a testament to the school broadly. Uh, there's a lot of teachers who went above and beyond, but she's one that definitely stands out. Mr. Kelly was also a teacher of mine, I should say, as was his wife, um, <laughs> primary one and two, I think, were her last class. So, yeah. yeah. That's a common theme in math, I think, getting people through exams that otherwise wouldn't get through. Two words, Arthur Jameson, thank you very much. Helped us for a number of years. Erin, what about you? You're, I mean, you're just on the merging on your path. You presumably wouldn't do anything different. You still, you're, you're still growing. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I don't think I would do anything different, and I don't know that I feel very qualified to give even myself advice <laughs> at this point. Um, but I think one thing I would definitely say would be to have not put so much pressure on myself to know exactly what I wanted to do, because I really think it's impossible. I mean, even since I've left school 10 years ago, there's whole fields of work and expertise that didn't even exist then. Um, and I think completely self-imposed on myself, it didn't come, my parents were always incredibly you know, supportive of me doing whatever I wanted to do. Um, but yeah, I think I put quite a lot of pressure on myself to think that I needed to know what my career was going to be age 16. Um, so yeah, probably just to spend more time figuring out what I enjoyed doing and what I was good at doing rather than needing to have a big, big plan. But um, yeah, honestly, I not wanting to be diplomatic, but really all of my teachers, I don't think I had a single teacher I didn't get on with the whole time I was at school I was incredibly lucky also I had Mr Jameson as a math teacher who I still remember to this day made me stand up and recite Pythagoras theorem in front of the class um, and he was also my house master when I was a house captain so yeah definitely to him and Mr Cowie and I mean the entire art department my dad was a, a, a teacher um, the head of the art department at the time when I was there which is always fun um, so I was always hanging around the art department and every member of staff there, yeah, definitely kind of nurtured the creative, creative side of me. And my, and my, you know, my friends, my peers, I'm totally inspired by what they're all off doing all over the world. So, yeah. And that, yeah. I mean, that's great that you gave your dad a shout out. I mean, your dad's been 
hugely respected and be such a great influence in so many people's school school careers. Um, Erland, what, what do you think? I mean, you have such had a, a such a great career starting and traveling all over the world. Would you take any of that back? Would you do anything different? Uh, I, I wouldn't take any of it back, um, Alan. And Erin, just to say, your dad helped me through my A-level art uh, by suggesting a quick visit to the art gallery to help me out halfway through that. So uh, yes, uh, terrific bloke. And um, would I take? I wouldn't take anything back. I think. I would describe school for me, my experience, it's not a Beaujolais, it's a fine claret, it's matured with age. Um, and I, in probably my 30s, started to appreciate what Gordon's did for me. So it took a bit of time. Um, certainly the, our family suffer as a consequence in terms of getting the flip chart out and working out, uh, you know, where someone's passion and, and their interest uh, with, our, uh, with the kids and, um, you know, so they've they've had the benefit of my lack of interest in career when I was at school and understanding what school was about. Um, but now I hugely value uh, and have huge pride in my um, in the school and that experience in terms of teachers. Just some of the names you've been mentioning, I've been walking through the school in my head from from the languages department. Mr. Cummings, I see he's here. Mrs. Loudon, Miss Gray, the music department. Walking through geography, history. Uh, the old house along past Mr. Richmond's uh, classroom, uh, the staff room, uh, JJ uh, on that ground floor, Mr. Jimison upstairs, the maths department, and then up the science block to the art department. I've, I've just mentally gone through school and uh, thankfully I never made it in to see George Allen. Um, the one surprise, I, well, the, the sallowing, uh, the, the, uh, the sobering thought I always have is when I see Michael Gove on the front bench and think, goodness me, I remember in the debating society with with him and look, he's, uh, you know, look what's happened to him. But my lesson is not to look at anyone else, look at yourself and say, how can I be the best version of me without getting there, uh, without uh, getting under the pressure of peers and everyone else? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I got a message that that Tom Cummings is on. Great to see you, Tom. Huge influence on me and, and Mark. You were unlucky enough to have us as your form class for a couple of years, I remember. So, so yeah, great. And I was lucky enough to to meet Tom at one of the Gordonian dinners in Edinburgh a couple of uh, a couple of years ago, which was which was fantastic. Um, Mark, have you, you know, are you happy enough that you just went to be in the Edinburgh Career Service and just plumped for <laughs> for Billy Gifford? Um. Yeah, the, the, so I, I was smiling to myself. What, what would I change if I could go back? Well, well, you and I know well we would change the school to be co-educational a bit a bit earlier because you know that that was a bit of an issue when uh, you were a, a teenage boy and we were trooping up to St Meg's and Albine, sort of forlorn, standing outside the gates, sort of hoping a girl might speak to us. But um, you know, it all worked out okay in, in the end. Um, I would say that the thing that school instilled in me and, and the names that we mentioned, I, I would add uh, Doug, Douglas Stewart in history for me was a, a huge influence. Mr. McKenzie, uh, Mrs. Hopps, um, uh, Mrs. Heaney, sorry, in, in the English department. Um, although Mr. McKenzie always used to take all the best parts when he was reading Shakespeare, which was a bit of an issue, but he, he, was, he was very good at it. Um, it. It inspired me to be curious and to stay curious. You know, and, and it's the, the Bailey Gifford slogan is curious about the world. And it's, it's a bit twee like all slogans, but it, it's what we look for in our graduates because if, if you don't have curiosity your mind shuts and and you know that the last year 
and being curious, I, I think it, 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 so many things have changed so rapidly that if you're not open-minded, um, you will be you will be left behind. The only thing I, I would change personally, I, I've enjoyed every every minute of, of what I've done and had some fantastic opportunities. I would spend try and spend more time in in Asia. Um, earlier in my career, I've, I've been lucky enough to do a lot of trips to Japan and to China, and it just kind of blows your mind how how different they are, how um, you know, you, you realize you have so many stereotypes. You're, you're so, you're such a, a no matter how open minded you try to be, you do carry in your mind impressions. And it's through the media and through what you read and through what people say to you. And, and going to places like that has, has, has been a real eye opener for me. So if, if I think that's, that's been the hardest part of, of COVID for, for lots of us, not being able to travel, not being able to have those sort of experiences as, as soon as things open up, you know, and, and if people, can do that get get themselves out there and immerse yourself because I, I i think this century is is the asian century absolutely um, and i would echo that with with obviously with doug stewart and, and ian mckenzie huge influences on me as well i would throw in uh, mike duncan uh, from the english department who had a huge influence in terms of of debating and and, and public speaking um, and also i, I know that uh, alan bickett is on is on the webinar um, so Alan's claim to fame is he was successor to Batman. Um, I don't know if that if that makes you Robin, Alan, but you know I know you were involved in the debating um, society as well. So all all of these people are hugely influential. Um, I've had questions, people saying that they they wanted to hear you know what what happened to me, what I did, which is a rather duller story than than you've heard. But um, I ended up going to Edinburgh after school and um, studied law. Um, I ended up working for uh, a firm called Dixon Minto and we specialize in, in corporate law. We do um, what's called private equity. So we advise investors who take companies that are underperforming and they buy them, they turn them around and, and, and then they sell them on. So it's been hugely stimulating, it's been great. I've done a lot of travel. I've met a lot of businessmen. I've met a lot of inspiring people. Advised a lot of in, in, inspiring people. So, so I, I, I wouldn't take any of it back. I suppose what what I would say is that when you're at school and you're going down a, a specific path, you, you sometimes no, don't get pressure. You get shoehorned that if you've got a particular set of grades, people would say, right, you know, this is the path for you. In those days, it, it, it was medicine or or law. Um, I coming from a background where nobody had been to university, my parents were really happy that I was going to do something like law, which was a profession at the end of it, and they could see a progression towards what they thought was was a reputable career. If I had advice to people, I would just say, be flexible. There's lots of things out there, as you've heard tonight from, from the panel, people change all the time and, and develop, and there's lots of different things you can try. So although you go to university and although you start a career with a fixed idea of where you want to go, be really open-minded, be flexible, travel, take it all in, because there's lots of opportunities to, to come and, and, and develop in that sense. Um, I suppose finally, you know, we, we said we would talk a little bit about uh, mindset. I'm really interested in mindset and how the way people think can affect what, what happens. You know, if you think a certain way, can can you by thinking positively mean that you get a greater benefit um, in your life? So just very quickly, if we if we buzz around, what what kind of strategies have you employed in terms of yourself to to get you through the 
to get you through the past year and also with your teams. Mark, you've um, we've been ripping you about Peloton, but you have done a tremendous thing and, and tell us about your exercise pledge over the past year to help you get through the pandemic. Yeah, that's right. So uh, it's 400 days today, isn't it? I think since, since the UK went into its sort of first lockdown and I, I decided I got a Peloton bike in November of 2019. And I said, right, every day that uh, we're in lockdown, I'm, go I'm going to carry on exercising. I'm going to do something, uh, do, you know, do some activity. So here I am sort of 400 days later still going strong and it, it that has been a, a massive change I used to go to the gym a couple of times a week but, but doing something every day I, I think that connection with physical health and mental health is, is is absolutely massive it gives me 45 minutes especially when homeschooling as Erland said it to myself focusing on yourself looking after yourself clearing your mind and um, so that, that's been that's been great for me and, and at work for me it, it's all about it's easy to say be positive, but actually having structural things to make yourself positive. So in any investment discussion, the first half of it, we are we are only positive. We only look at upside because the easiest thing in our world is to tear things down, say that won't work, or leave that, Levi's, that, that, that will never work. Folk, folk won't fall for that. Actually ask yourself, what, what if that's what if that works? What what would that do for Levi's brand? Where does that take them? And and sort of change the conversation into asking and yes questions rather than but no questions. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. Neil, I mean, you've had it really hard in terms of being stuck in London, working in a New York job. So, I mean, working in a completely different kind of sleep pattern. How, in terms of just coping and, and mental health, how have you managed to uh, keep your mindset over the past year? Yeah, one of Mark's early investments, Whole Foods, has been a huge help to me, if I'm being truly honest with you. It's been our escape in London. Um, but no, um, this reality is, this is, it is my dream job. I'm, really, I'm, I'm very fortunate to have that. But some mornings you wake up and you're like, okay, I'll be on a call until 10 p.m. Uh, you know, and it's, it's, you, you don't really fancy it. So uh, like Mark, exercise has been a huge part of my life. Um, we've done a lot of cycling. We have a Peloton as well now in the garage. And um, a lot of running around Hyde Park and, and yeah, a lot of that. Another big thing for us and um, for me personally has been wearing a, wearing a shirt or wearing jeans, wearing Levi's maybe, Aaron, and you know, not sitting in a shorts and a t-shirt doing calls um, as was the existence in the first couple of months of lockdown and trying to build a boundary in that sense of changing out of clothes when the workday is over so you can fully relax uh, has been something which has uh, definitely helped. And the final one is... Uh, something that we as Google are trying to do um, broadly, in, at least um, in the UK and the US, it's kind of bring back the Google magic. You work at Google and you, you, there's a lot of fun things that happen all the time and a lot of spontaneity. Um, and that goes when you're at home working in an office. Uh, so we tried to bring that magic back through baking classes. You know, we made macarons recently um, or uh, doing gin tasting, wine tasting, various um, things like that, just to try to keep the the fun of work alive and um, because otherwise it can be as you say quite a quite a long day working those kind of 10 to 10s and um, as uh, as they've become for me so yeah lots of lots of little things there that i think have helped a lot absolutely and and erin obviously you just moved to brussels and then it all shut down how how have you managed to keep yourself going and and, and make new friends in, in brussels over the past year 
Yeah, so it was definitely a bit of a struggle, um, especially in the beginning. Um, I was quite fortunate that I kind of had a bit of a built-in friend base and that I had two friends already living here working for Levi's and there's a big expat community here. Um, so I was quite lucky that I was actually kind of coming into an environment where um, very quickly they introduced me to lots of other people. So I had those three months to quickly kind of make friends. But um, in, in terms of the kind of mental health side of it, I would say pre pandemic I was very flexible in my approach to work I would answer emails and do work at any time of day or night if things came in to me because you know I was really kind of pushing to move up in the company and move on in the business and be as avail avail available as possible basically um, but I've definitely found in this last year that I've kind of had to force myself to implement some boundaries, um, especially working at home and, you know, having a company phone that, you know, emails ping in at midnight, one in the morning from San Francisco or whatever. And it's very tempting just to think, oh, I could just respond to that now in two minutes and I don't have to deal with it tomorrow. But you're then putting your work brain back on, you know, at midnight, which can very quickly feel like you're living at work if you're working at home so yeah I've definitely had to have a bit more of a strict routine um of again as you say simple things like getting actually getting dressed for work and um, to sit down at my desk and then when I come away from my desk that's me really kind of switching off from work and yeah exercise as well and one main thing he's very quietly sleeping in the back corner I don't know if anyone can see but I also got a dog <laughs> along with a lot of other people I'm sure across um, the country but so yeah getting out for walks and things and fresh air during the day because yeah if you're sat in front of a screen for several hours it can take a toll but yeah so mimicking I think what a lot of other people have have realized over the last year Great. And Ireland, how have you set the boundaries back in, in Durham? Uh, well, uh, we, we've got the perfect uh, home for, uh, for uh, lockdown. We bought an old isolation hospital, so uh, that's perfect during a pandemic. <laughs> uh, the benefit of hindsight, no, seriously, we had, uh, well, I certainly had some significant challenges. Um, as a micro business, when, you've got, when you're leading something and there's four of us, um, you know, the pressure was on. And then with homeschooling, you know, suddenly simple things like your broadband disappearing was a big issue with Zoom calls. So was, uh, I think for me, big lesson was um, taking joy and pleasure in the little things. Uh, I don't have Peloton, but I've got, I go out in my proper, I, I go outside my push bike. And uh, uh, so even last, until I broke my shoulder, I was doing 30 miles and it was lovely uh, in the positive. I've, smelling daffodils as you're cycling along, no cars, uh, you know, just taking in stuff. Uh, so taking joy in the simple things um, was probably what I learned a year ago. And so it's trying to do that. And the other thing is, is, is what Mark said, being curious that the time that was afforded was enabling me to read some wide ranging stuff, basically, and, and stimulate the brain. Um, so it's, with the challenges that we've all faced, um, and you know, I don't underestimate those for, for everyone. Uh, so it was the small things. Our, our youngest, Molly, would say at the dinner table, what three things are you thankful for today? Uh, and addressing that question was just 
you know, that was a delight. So long may those habits continue, uh, as well as setting boundaries as we move forward into this hybrid, perhaps better normal. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's, uh, that's a huge uh, factor going forward for everyone, isn't it, that we've all learned throughout our, our careers, that you've got to keep challenging yourself. Um, as I keep saying to my team, as Miley Cyrus says, there's always going to be another mountain. So I think they're pretty sick of of me saying that now. Anyway, so we're sorry, we're coming to the end of the Q&A. There's been some really specific questions, uh, technical questions to some of the panelists um, about the industries in which we work, uh, which they work. Uh, and we will make sure that the panelists uh, answer those. So we'll get back to the, the respective uh, people after the event with, with specific answers, answers to those. Um, we have uh, another special uh, guest uh, this evening, um, the head of college, Robin McPherson, uh, is with us. Uh, Robin joined uh, RGC, but you, poor Robin, he hasn't actually managed to get in and about properly. He joined in a bit of a storm, so things have been a whirlwind for you. Um, but you know, I don't know if you can give us a bit of a flavour of what it's been like to come into the environment from the teaching side. Absolutely. Thanks very much. I've thoroughly enjoyed it tonight. And this has been such a great series because um, such rich discussion. I've been scribbling things furiously in my, my pad of paper here and things I'd, I'd love to ask you all and follow up later on. And I think actually coming back to something that I think you said earlier, Alan, about uh, needing to be flexible. I think that's been a, a really key thing for everybody. And if you if you started a new role in the past year, then just learning to adapt to a new environment whilst that environment is rapidly changing, you just have to be flexible and um, I actually had a, a, you know, one job in, in the past in, in the Middle East, a brand new school where we just didn't have anything, we didn't even have the buildings in place when I joined. Um, every single day was, was a challenge you know, to do things differently and, and actually that's been, it's been really good stead for, for the past year in the pandemic because if you assume that things will be the same then you're, you're going to find yourself being frustrated I think very quickly and coming back to a point that, that Erlen made earlier that um, you know, we, we've discussed in the past Erlen Learning how to learn is just so important. It is the most significant skill of all the 21st century skills narrative. You know, metacognition is the, is the big thing. And you know, if, if you can learn how to learn, then you're ready for anything. And, and that's something we're thinking about a lot in you know, how, how we teach children at the school going forward. I think we, we'll make that an even bigger thing. It's been obvious in, you know, in the career paths you've all taken and, and talked about tonight that I think it was a big thing for you as well. So it's a, a consistent theme of the school. Also, I think it's been interesting hearing everyone coming back to the point about sustainability and how significant that is. Uh, again, a huge thing for the future of the school and, and how you know, we educate pupils for that, that future. And I think you know, coming back to it being a, a generational thing and, and you know, it was really interesting hearing Erin um, talking about you know, um, Gen Z being so much more brand aware and, and, and ethical shoppers, that side of things. So that, that was really interesting. So that fits with, with my experience as well of how hot a topic it is for young people. And another thing I just thought was, was, was great, which um, again, shows my own experience uh, is the, you know, Mark talking about the next, well, the century being the Asian century and having done, uh, well, taught in summer schools in, in Hong Kong and UK based on some Chinese pupils and, and worked in the Middle East. The thing I always try to impress upon British pupils is that Asian children of their age do really believe that this is their century, that, that America is something to be overtaken, that's a challenge that they expect to be successful in, and the, they don't really see Europe as, as the future. They see Europe as a great place to visit, and you need to learn English, but it's more about the past than it is about the future, and, and that's a challenge that 
European children are going to have to rise to because the work ethic that you see from uh, you know, children in Asian schools is just phenomenal. I mean, actually scary, it's ferocious. Um, and keeping pace with that is going to be a major challenge. So, so many interesting things here um, uh, that you know, our, our pupils and, and the younger people tuning into this, I think, can take on board and learn from the discussion today. So, so thank you all so much. I, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. It's been a, yet another great session in the series and, and very well chaired, Alan. Okay. Thank you, Robin. Great to hear from you. And we'll hopefully get to meet you in person soon as things as things open up. Um, I'd also just like to take the time to in, introduce uh, the development office who have set this uh, this up tonight um, and do a great job organizing all the events, all the webinars that have been in the last few weeks uh, and all of the events that you can go along to and participate in uh, for Gordonians. Uh, Laura and the team, thank you very much. I don't know if you're you're just going to wave. Or are you going to you going to speak? No, we'll just wave and say that uh, we've thoroughly enjoyed the event tonight. We're thrilled to have the panelists all here together from the different locations uh, and countries that you're representing. Um, and we genuinely just miss see seeing Gordonians face to face. So it's wonderful to have the webinar series at the moment. And. Hopefully one day we'll get back to physical meetups, but in the meantime, um, we'd love to hear from anyone about other ideas they have for online events. Um, get in touch with myself, Sarah Jane, Cara or Katrina at any point. We'd love to hear from you. So thank you. Great, thank you. Um, Laura and the development office do a fantastic job uh, throughout the year and, and do an amazing job in terms of educating people um, about bursaries. Gordon's has a fantastic record in, in terms of providing bursaries for people who otherwise wouldn't be able to go to the school and, and get education uh, to come forward. I think it's something like it's, it, we perform better than any other school in Scotland in providing um, um, bursaries for, for people to, to come, come on and learn. Um, Mark and I have been lucky enough to be involved in, in the Edinburgh bursary. There's an Aberdeen one and there's a London one. Um, I, I won't talk about my own bursary. I always, I always embarrass Mark, but it is absolutely amazing that a boy from a council house in Northfield can go on to get a scholarship to Oxford in those days, which was possible, then get a scholarship to Harvard, uh, do a, a, a postgrad in Edinburgh, and then get taken on by a firm that would never have looked at somebody from his background before and has risen to be global head of investment and the number one investor in Europe. That's an amazing success story that wouldn't have been possible without, without a bursary. I, th I think the only other thing I would say is I think tonight shows you what a Gordon's education gives you because I think Gordon teaches people to have resilience, to look outwards and to go out into the world and to see what's aware of it. We're very aware that we're from Aberdeen and it's a relatively small place and, and we want to get out there and we want to experience things. You've seen people um, Erin, who's ended up in, in Brussels, Neil, who's ended up in New York, Ireland, who's worked in, in the Middle East, Mark, who tours the world uh, seeing investors. And so it, it, it's a great starting point and a great sounding board for, for everyone um, and to start from. And, and so I would encourage you all to, to, to make the best of it and, and, and get out there and, and form similar paths. So thank you very much for, for attending. Uh, we have uh, really enjoyed it. Uh, and I hope it's been uh, it's been worth listening. The guys are coming back on. Um, Going to do a little bit of wave. Thanks very much. It's been really great.
Thank you again.